So, as our pastor often says, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. And that's what we see here in Hosea in chapters 1 to 3. We still see an illustration, a way that the Lord has made His prophet to walk out God's love for His people. And I've titled this sermon, Judgment and Hope, illustrated by a promiscuous wife and a faithful husband. So our text this morning will be from the first three chapters of the book of Hosea, but I'd only like to read a small portion uh, beginning in chapter 2, verse 13. In chapter 2, this is an oracle from the prophet Hosea, and we're actually splitting it up into two parts. We'll explain later, but this is what I'd like to read first this morning. The Lord says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 13, And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Verse 14, Therefore... Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. I read this this morning because I feel like this is the climax of the text this morning in these three chapters. And my prayer and hope is that you will see the beauty in it uh, as we continue. So let's pray together. Father, we thank You, Lord, for the glorious um, grace that You've given us, God, to meet together. Lord, what You've given us in Your Word is it's just invaluable. God, it's sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb, and it's more valuable than gold or silver. Father, we pray this morning for your aid as we try to mine your word from the book of Hosea for what you have for your people this morning in 2022 at Maynardville Fellowship Church. God, by your grace, will you please help us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll first go on and uh, look at Hosea uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to set up the context here of the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and then in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So the ministry of the prophet Hosea spanned many decades. Um, it could be three, it could be up to five, but it's many decades as noted, as mentioned, and we can note here from the mention of these kings of Judah. Um, now, Hosea, however, was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, though that he has listed here more kings of the southern kingdom. Uh, remember, after Solomon's reign over the united people of God... Uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided and split under his son's reign under Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam, his successor, um, levied heavier taxes upon the people of Israel in which they rebelled. And they crowned themselves a new king, uh, Jeroboam I. And approximately 175 years later, we find here the prophetic words of the book of Hosea to Israel. Uh, the book only mentions one of the reigning kings of Israel, Jeroboam II. And this is probably due to the short-lived and widespread instability of the reign of the kings that followed. There were six kings that followed Jeroboam II in 30 years' time. Jeroboam II was the last great king of Israel and had brought Israel to great heights of prosperity. And that's where we um, get the book of Hosea. That's the context in which it's set. The book of Hosea then can generally be separated into two sections. First are the sections of chapters 1 through 3. A second section would be the rest of the book of Hosea, chapters 4 through 14. Uh, the first chapters is an illustration of the relationship between God and Israel through the marriage relationship of Hosea to Gomer. This is um, active and engaged, active prophecy. Um, chapters 4 to 14 are oracles then that expound more of Israel's sin and the coming judgment uh, as we read of Hosea and Gomer's relationship. Our text this morning from chapters 1 to 3 is probably what we're all most familiar with in the book of Hosea. If I were to ask you about the book of Hosea, you would probably remember something about Gomer and harlotry. Because the illustration that God provides through the life and, the, and marriage of Hosea, we tend to remember the story of Gomer's harlotry. But I hope we leave this morning with such appreciation for the riches we can mine from God's Word as, is somewhat, as this somewhat familiar story of unfaithfulness highlights the greatness of God's mercy and love. In our text this morning, the first three chapters, there's a certain literary structure that is set up um, by whoever compiled either Hosea himself or his recent follow his followers close in line with him of the first three chapters. So if you're like me, as you read and open the book of Hosea, you're following uh, chapter 1. It seems pretty straightforward to verse 9. Then from there, it seems like there's a division, there's a break, um, and you're reading something different. Um, and then you pick back up in the story. Well, that's what's happened. Here is a, a two-part story that's wrapped around a three-part oracle. The two-part story beginning in Hosea 1, verse 2 through verse 9, and the second part in the whole chapter 3 of Hosea. And in between that is this three-part oracle. And so if we think about it this morning, we have uh, basically... This, the story of hope, I mean the story of judgment, followed by an oracle of hope. Then an oracle of judgment, followed by an oracle of hope, and then the story that ends also in hope. So that's the literary structure, and that's how we'll work through the text this morning as those come. So go back to your Bibles, and we'll read now the first portion of Hosea Hosea's story, chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. The Lord says here, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, 
Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will have no mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. For I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Here in the first verses of chapter 1, God has commanded His real prophet to pursue a real marriage with a real woman who will later pursue other real men who are not her husband, and she will conceive real children. Let the, let the sorrow and heaviness of this truth sink in. Really think about it. These accounts of Hosea's life are enacted prophecy. This is not a mere story or parable, but it is Hosea literally walking through the reality of an unfaithful spouse in order that he would learn the sting of sin and then minister to a wayward people. In this illustration, let's get clear who's representing who. Hosea is, a, is the faithful husband and is the God figure. Gomer, the wife he pursues is in verse 2 representative of the land. The land here is a term used often to designate, most often, to designate Israel. So as Gomer is representative of Israel as a whole nation, the children of the union are somewhat representative of the people and individuals within the nation. And their names are warning and of the judgment coming upon them. And this gets at the personal and pointed nature of Hosea's prophetic relationship. In verse 2, we're told that the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The term translated great means, means extreme or engrossed. The people of Israel here in the northern kingdom are extremely engrossed in sin. They worship the Baals. They worship in idolatry. The Baals we believed to be were believed to be gods of fertility and prosperity in the land. And Israel cr credited the fullness of her barns, the abundant produce of her vineyards, and the plentifulness of, of her wool and flax to the worship of the Baals. The Lord's people have abandoned Him. They are whoring with the false gods of the Canaanites and do not acknowledge Him as the giver of blessings to Israel. And we'll see more of that in chapter 2. But in short order, we go to verse 3 and we see that Hosea obeyed God. It's so succinct, it's so quick, there's no mention here 
of anything else. But Hosea obeyed God. He took Gomer as his wife and began a family. Each of Gomer's children are given names by God to declare this coming judgment on the people of Israel. The firstborn, Jezreel, requires the most extensive explanation. The name Jezreel used negatively means God will scatter as to destroy. So to destroy something. Jezreel is to be a pronouncement of the destruction of Israel because of the wickedness of a previous king Jehu in the valley of Jezreel. But anointed by God's prophet, Jehu was, Jehu was to end the line of Ahab in Israel. You can find this story in 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 10. And it would seem, or it did seem confusing then, that Jehu's actions, when blessed by God in 2 Kings 10.30, would then reap judgment on the house of Israel. In reading this, you wonder, why is it then... That Jehu obeyed God, and yet it's given here the name Jezreel as a judgment against the people. But if we go back to 2 Kings and we look at the same chapter, chapter 10, verses 29 and 31, help us to understand that though Jehu obeyed God in destroying Ahab and ascending to the throne, it was not from a pure heart. 2 Kings uh, chapter 10, verse 31 says, Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. A commentator would say, Jehu's zeal for bloodshed at Jezreel exceeded all bounds. And his life as king was not that of a man after God's own heart. Therefore, the firstborn son of Hosea will be marked not by a strong name bringing honor to his father, but his name is continually a pronouncement of judgment against Jehu in the house of Israel. The word tells us then that Gomer bore a second child who was named No Mercy. The Lord is putting an end to the kingdom of Israel because Jehu, because of Jehu, and more than that, he's removing his mercy and forgiveness from his people. What judgment? Psalm 103.8 tells us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The mercy of God is an attribute of who God is. To know mercy is to know God and now he is warning Israel of denying his mercy to them and access to his mercy. God is removing or taking away, denying them part of himself as these proclamations of judgment. The last child is named Not My People. The fornication of God's chosen people of Israel has led them to be disowned completely from their covenant Lord. We should see in these three judgments that it amps up as we go on. That because of Jehu and Jezreel that the Lord will bring judgment. Then that judgment will be a, a, a removing of His mercy and forgiveness from the people. And then altogether abandoning or completely disowning the people. This is the first time here in this uh, part of Hosea that the God speaks directly to the people. 
in verse 9, he says, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is the climax of the warnings and judgments against the people of God. How can this be? How can the Lord who said to Moses, You shall be my treasured possession among the peoples, now say, You are not my people. God's covenant with His people at Sinai was conditional. In Exodus 19.5, we read, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Israel has not held up their end of the bargain. But moving forward in Hosea, we realize all hope is not lost. Read with me chapter 1, verses, verse 10 to 2, 1. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them... You are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. So again, right after this pronouncement of judgment, we have this first oracle of hope. In Hosea, the scripture we just met, there's a glint of hope after the dim biographical record of the marriage of Gomer and the birth of her children. Verse 10 begins with, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. What does this call back to you in your mind? What do you hear there? What, what, what should we go back to? Well, we should go back to God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 22, verses 16 to 18. God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. The people, though harlots and facing coming judgment, have hope in the promises of God sworn to Abraham. And the judgments introduced in the naming of Jezreel, no mercy, and not my people against the land of Israel are undone in these verses of future hope. Moving on to the next oracle in verses uh, 2 to 13 of chapter 2, we read more specifically now of the whoring of Gomer and Israel. Chapter 2, verses 2 to 13 say, Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she may put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. 
Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her pass. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them, and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. The language of verse 2 here in this oracle again of judgment is very formal as a legal declaration of Hosea of divorce from an adulterous wife, which was commonly said by husbands of the ancient Middle East culture. The children are told here to plead with their mother to repent of her promiscuity and reconciliation and pursue reconciliation of the marriage, which seems very far off. In verse 5, Notice the direct declaration of sin. There's no excusing away what has been done. Gomer has played the whore. Just as Israel has done, Israel is engrossed in pursuing her lovers, the Baals, who she credits with her prosperity and luxury. But as the prophet declares in verse 8, it was the Lord, her husband, that blessed her with all she had. God explains then in verses 6 and 7 how He works to protect His own people from their lusts. It says that He makes the path to whoredom difficult, filling their way with thorns and building walls to hide the path. So the harlot, it says, seeks her sin but cannot find it. What a grace it is of the Lord to protect us from our own evil desires. Turning our attention then in this section to chapter or verse 13. The, prof, the prophet confesses the sins of Israel, that the Lord will punish. The whoring that has brought judgment was a problem in the hearts and minds of Israel. The end of verse 13 says, And forgot me, declares the Lord. They forgot the Lord. They forgot that He is the fount of every blessing. God was the one who prospered His people and kept them. This is, this is the center of the heart problem for these people of Israel. They became so distracted and engrossed in what they're doing and the lavishness, the prosperity, 
And they forgot the Lord and continued after their lovers for their own satisfaction, their own gain. That's the problem, the problem of the heart. In light of this text, it seems Israel is ripe for destruction. The punishment of the Lord will be swift and severe. There is no hope for those who forget or do not know the Lord. So in verse 14, we expect to read, Therefore, behold, I will destroy Israel completely and remove them from the face of the earth. They are not my people. That's what they deserved. That's what they gained for themselves in their whorings after other gods. But that's not what we read. Instead, we read, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Israel. The faithful God of the covenant pursues His love. You can't deny the intimate language in which the prophet describes this pursuit of God for His bride. It says He allures her. He entices her. He brings her to the place of their honeymoon in the wilderness after the exodus. He speaks tenderly to her and blesses her. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of sinners who Christ pursues and blesses. This is the climax of the three chapters in Hosea. We see here... The illustration of Hosea and the sin of his wife Gomer that pictures and reflects what Israel has done, the coming judgment that they deserve. And yet we have these pictures of hope. And now not only that, we see that the Lord will pursue His bride that He loves. The Lord will pursue His bride that He loves, and that's the gospel. The Lord pursued us when we were yet sinners. Christ Jesus, the Word said, died when we were yet sinners. That Christ Jesus is our hope who came to the world, who completely submitted Himself to the law of the Lord, to what the Lord desired for Him to walk through without sin. And Christ then gave up His life. He laid His life down for those who would believe. And if you don't know that love this morning... If, you, if that doesn't resonate with you in your heart, then seek the Lord and pray. Seek out someone here today that can explain to you the gospel and can help you to show you the scriptures and to pray that you might pursue the Lord. Because you must be reconciled with Him. This destruction that's preached about here in Hosea and prophesied about here in Hosea, it comes to pass for these people. But there's a future destruction that awaits all those who do not bow the knee to Christ. God's wrath hangs over the people who do not know Him and who forget Him, who do not acknowledge Him as God. And that's a problem 
for all of us today who are not in Christ. So I'm pleading with you to be reconciled to God. Now if you know Christ, you enjoy these blessings. You know why this is the climax of this text. Because you, like the people of Israel and like Gomer, you've explored your harlotry. You've explored your idolatry. Sometimes you get caught up in it. You forget God. And yet we have the promise here that says He will allure us. He will draw us back to Him. And we rest in that. The faithful God of the covenant pursues His love. And if we know that, then we, can, we will turn and pursue Him. Let's read on. And in that day, verse 16 of chapter 2, declares the Lord, You will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. <clears throat> With the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Here the Lord addresses the renewed covenant with his bride. She will call him my husband, an intimate name reflecting provision, protection, and love. The Lord will cleanse his bride of her adultery. He betroths his people to himself forever, it says, in righteousness, justice, love, mercy, and faithfulness, in verse 19 and 20. And the heart problem that we talked about before, the heart problem that we all have dealt with will be resolved. The end of verse 20 says, And you shall know the Lord. This knowing the Lord and forgetting the Lord is continues as a theme in the book of Hosea into chapter 4 and farther in some of the further writings. But this is the problem that the Lord is fixing. You shall know the Lord. And in verses 22 and 23, we also see the reversal of the names given in judgment to the children of whoredom. I said to you that the negative of the term Jezreel or the name Jezreel, God scatters. And that's as to destroy. Well here, in chapter, verse 22, he says, They shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow for her... Her, I'm sorry, I will sow her for myself in the land. That's the positive use of Jezreel. God scatters as to sow. God scatters as then to build up. 
So he's reversing the names of these children that no more will this son of Hosea, Jezreel, be remembered for the sin of Jehu, but now he's remembered for the sowing of the people of Israel for the Lord. The Lord will sow His people and prosper them in the land. He will show mercy now to no mercy. And His people will declare in repentance and faith, You are my God. Our last portion of text this morning in chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 is the story of Hosea pursuing Gomer to model what we've just discussed. So again, I told you this literary structure was a a two-part story in the beginning and end with the three-part oracle in the middle. Now we go to the final part of the story. We've seen God's mercy, the hope of the gospel, and God's mercy to His people, Israel. He's a covenant-keeping, faithful God. Now that will be played out in the life of Hosea and Gomer. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for for fifteen shekels of silver, and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. God commands here Hosea again to go and love. To love the harlot Gomer as God loves Israel in their sin. It's interesting to me that God does not look over that. Yet again, even though we've seen His mercy displays, He says here, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. He has not forgotten. But He loves us and He tells Hosea to go and love Gomer. Hosea obeys. But at a further cost to him, he must buy his wife back from slavery to her lover. We're not certain of the situation that Gomer has gotten herself into, but she is now the property of another man. And as Hosea comes to pay the bill, he couldn't pay it all in silver. Not only does he have to bring his silver, but it appears he didn't have the cash it would take, and he added to his money some of his stores of grain. So the prophet here is feeling the pain and the cost to love a wayward wife as a picture of God's steadfast love and the great cost in Christ to love wayward sinners. Gomer is redeemed in verse 3 and brought back into Hosea's home with stipulations for a season to protect her and her husband. Verse 4 then explains that this reflects the discipline that was received by the children of Israel in the exile. Verse 4 says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. 
In approximately 722 B.C., the prophesied judgment of the book of Hosea came upon Israel at the hand of the Assyrian Empire, who overcame Samaria and took the people as slaves into their kingdom. So there's an immediate fulfillment, as I mentioned earlier, of Hosea's prophecy. More than likely, when this prophecy came true in the, the Assyria taking captive the people of Israel, the house of Judah, the other kingdom, became much more uh, involved in, in reading and studying and knowing the call, declared the uh, call of Hosea to repentance. But God's judgment here was swift and it was not irrational or uncontrolled. But in the measure of the sin of Israel that they might repent and turn to Him. When, when I mentioned earlier we thought about verse 14. What, what should happen in chapter 2 verse 14? Well it sounds like that the Lord should say, Therefore, behold, I will wipe you out. But the Lord has made promises. And He is a covenant keeping God. And He does not act irrationally. He does not act out of His bounds. He knows the promises that He's made. Yet that doesn't, that doesn't remove His judgment. It doesn't remove His discipline. The people of Israel in this day suffered and suffered greatly. But it was what was due them. Verse 5 returns then to a hope of a future day. Verse 5 says, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. This future day where Israel is restored under the covering of her Lord and King, we can see a partial fulfillment in at least three ways. Your mind should already be thinking, well, if, if, if it says that Israel shall return, well, the, there's a return from the exile. That's one way that we can see um, a partial fulfillment in this. The return from exile and the rebuilding of the temple. The second way, the coming of Christ, our Savior, to gather us together, His people. This, this text and this, uh, this promise here that afterward one will come, this is pointing us to Christ. This is showing us where Christ is, the hope that, that we look forward to today. And His second coming is another way that we see uh, that this, this uh, will be not partially fulfilled, but in complete fulfillment in the consummation. But I got ahead of myself here. The establishment then of the church under the authority of Christ the King. That we would all be gathered together under one head, Christ the King who has authority over the earth. Uh, Romans 9.25 makes mention of this. So the church is part of a fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of what's said here in Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. But we also look forward to a future day, again, when it's all consummated in the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Now I'd like to make one application of this text. I know that in these three chapters, multiple things, much, much more could be said. More could be done. I think there's very much patterns that we may see or, or things that we might imply about people in prosperity who forget God. And can't we apply that all over the place today? 
But I want to say one thing. We looked at the, what, I, what I thought was the climax of this text. That the people forget God. That's the heart problem that leads to many sins. Why did the people sacrifice to the Baals? Because they forgot God. Why did the people not give God the glory for the grain and the wine? Because they forgot Him. So my exhortation to you this morning is to keep yourself and to keep your brothers and sisters from forgetting God. Matthew Malacosio preached a while, a while back from Jude. And in Jude 20, 23, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. So brothers and sisters, keep yourself from forgetting the Lord. My second exhortation then was to keep your brothers and sisters. We read in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So it's your responsibility to keep yourself and to keep others. And that should be in our face now as God has blessed Maynardville Fellowship as David said this morning with 17 interviews for membership today. There is a responsibility, there is a great joy but yet a great weight for you to keep yourself and to keep your brothers and sisters. That we may not fall away from God and experience His judgment but yet we rest and we hope in the Lord who says... Behold, I will allure you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word from Hosea. God, I do pray this morning as I mentioned that, uh, Father, we have gleaned from your word what you would have for us this morning, that our hearts, God, have been warned. And Lord, our hearts have been encouraged because we know, Lord, we serve you, a faithful God. That you have made promises to Abraham. God, you have brought fulfillment of those in Christ to us. So God, let us hold fast to Christ. Let us not forget who you are, that we might be led astray into sin. And God, we pray you help us to do that for one another. That our church, that this body of believers, Lord, might be built up together. And Father, be more and more like your Son. God, we thank you for this time of worship. And let us continue as we come to the table uh, to proclaim Christ. And look to one another. Look to our brothers and sisters who are sharing this meal with us. And have joy. And God, love them enough uh, to encourage and exhort them. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen.